house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. People do have a tendency to take some bad falls when you're around. What did you do to him, Mommy? Why can't you believe my mother? Because she's done it before. You don't believe me, do you? Selena, get in the house right now. I am in the house. Academy Award winner Kathy Bates. Jennifer Jason Lee. An accident, Dolores can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Oh! Oh! Dolores! Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast constantly embarking upon a very rigid search. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my high-riding bitch, Chris File. Hello, Chris. You dirty bird. <laughs> you dirty Wrong bird. Wrong Kathy. Wrong Kathy performance. Wrong Kathy Stephen King performance. Yes. Well, exactly. We'll be talking about that one plenty. Um, uh, uh, welcome to our uh, horror in July portion of the uh, of the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast. Um uh, is it horror or is it a women's picture, though? I well, ask you this it's question. it's both, and it's also like it sort of goes from like melodrama to kind of a TV movie. There's a whole lot of genres at play. I don't want to get too far into discussing this qualitatively without bringing in our guest, though, because uh, uh, there's plenty to talk about, and I don't want any of it to go to waste. We have a special guest with us for the first time on this Head Oscar Buzz, which is always a very exciting prospect. Uh, he is a culture writer. He hosted a Stephen King podcast called King of the Dark. Also, you uh, if you listen to the Screen Drafts podcast, you'll have seen him or you have uh, heard him uh, a few times recently and probably soon into the future. Welcome, Louis Peitzman, to This Had Oscar Buzz. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Thank you. Those hoorays were so deep and sincere that I really do feel <laughs> heartily welcomed. I just finished doing a long freelance piece on Wes Anderson movies, so like everything I say is deadpan, but it's none oh, no. it's nonetheless sincere. That will definitely fuck you up. No, so Lewis, I reached out to you. I was very adamant that we have you on the podcast to talk about Dolores Claiborne for one, because of the Stephen King connection for two, because we just wanted to have you on, but also, and I, Chris can vouch for this because I said this several times. I'm like, we need to have Lewis on to talk about Dolores Claiborne for the 4th of July episode. And I was steadfast in that. And I'm watching the movie yesterday and I'm like, well, where's all the stuff about the 4th of July? Cause I was certain that I knew that it happens on the, the, the pivotal events happen on the eclipse, but I thought the eclipse was happening on the 4th of July. I thought that was like baked in. And what I realized then was that I was conflating Dolores Claiborne 
with the Martina McBride song Independence Day, <laughs> which is also which is a song about a woman who's being abused by her husband who fights back and I believe sets the house on fire. Yes, um, she does. And I guarantee you there's definitely like some version of this on YouTube that's like footage from Dolores Claiborne, but that song. If there that is it, if, also, if it's not there, it should be. Somebody do that now. Yeah. Very pivotal in my family because um constant misunderstanding of lyrics happened and there's okay. always a joke in my family that that song is instead of daddy left the proof on her cheek scary sad yeah somebody i think it was my sister thought the lyrics were daddy left himself in the sink because he's a drunk <laughs> long story. again uh joe st george and martina mcbride's uh, uh wayward uh, uh, daddy have uh have <laughs> similarities i don't know whether martina very well may have been speaking in character and that i don't know all i know about that song because i'm i'm not a very big country music fan but like carrie underwood performed that song 1200 times on her season of american idol like that was her like go to like genuinely multiple times and good for her i was gonna say save it for this had cma buzz but that probably did win some cma <laughs> sure it did award, yeah it would be so ineligible for us it was um, Carrie Underwood's version of Kimberly Locke doing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. 100%. Yes. Um, wait, so anyway, so Lewis, I, I basically um, requested this movie for you. So talk to me about um, uh, uh, this movie, your your general sort of feelings when I was like, hey, Lewis, come talk to us about Dolores Claiborne. What, what was your reaction beyond what you told me? Well, I didn't know it was a seasonal pick because um, I wasn't aware of the Fourth of July connection that existed in your head. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I, I, I'm always excited to talk about Dolores Claiborne, which I've spoken about um, on at least one one other podcast, but maybe two. I, I've, t- I've been in a lot of Stephen King podcasts, including the one that I did for Barnes and Noble that they scrubbed from the internet because uh-huh. Barnes and Noble um, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Dolores Claiborne is a movie that um, I I didn't see until college and then became very important to me because we had a stuffed bear that we named Dolores Claybear. And course, that, yes. <laughs> that, for some reason, was like a very important part of my college experience. Um, and Dolores Claybear, remember- formerly uh, Dolores St. Rorge. Um, (laughs) that's very good Um, we named the bear and then I hadn't seen the movie so then we watched it and the roommate who had named the bear like forgot that not to spoil things that we'll talk about the movie has like very upsetting child sexual abuse in it and so we were kind of all watching it like it has a lot of like as you said like TV movie vibes at parts and it's very watchable and then it's like suddenly extremely upsetting Um. And it kind of like tainted the whole Dolores Claybear thing. But um, anyway, I still stand by the movie and the stuffed animal. And, stand by that stuffed um, animal. When I did the King podcast, uh, it was like kind of insane. We recorded two episodes. We did two episodes a week and we read the full books for them, which when you're doing a Stephen King, King podcast is like uh, a wild undertaking. Yeah. Because you were. The books are not short like, usually. We would do like the stand and then something else uh, oh, wow. for one week. <laughs> it was like very, yeah. And there's, I can, I'll complain like separately off, off mic. Do but, it. um, yeah. but Dolores Claiborne, yes. Yeah, so I read it and then watched it again, um, which was great. Uh, I think when you read the book, there's a lot to kind of think about the adaptation of it all mm-hmm. and 
Because it's all really like stream of consciousness. It's right? all it's all a monologue, yeah. yeah. And so like instead of instead of her like I guess giving really long speeches to Jennifer Jason Lee and like flashing back, she's just like doing that in her kind of confession, talking about it's all one long monologue in dialect. Um, That's Jodie Comer's next fun. Tony. Is, I was going to say uh, adapt this, adapt <laughs> this for the stage, please. Um, and I also I, I also did a ranking of every Stephen King adaptation for BuzzFeed when I was working there. Um, another like ridiculous project that no one should ever do because they are well, there's some like amazing movies and then there are some that are so shockingly bad. Um, I did everything that was like a completed like movie or miniseries wow. or tv movie like anything that wasn't like an open-ended series i did Which, so at some point it becomes it like really starts proliferating because like for a while there i feel like it was at least you could at least get your mind around these are the stephen king adaptation then there are some sort of like smaller movies like the mangler or whatever that existed and didn't really like make but like once you reach a certain point and you get to like um all the like those cable shows that you like had no idea were like um what was the sci-fi channel show that was forever that uh Bag of Bones? No, well that one too. Um no, but the one with um uh my friend's wrestling. Oh, like husband, the, um, the on the ongoing series? Haven? Was it called Haven? Haven? Yeah. yeah. So I didn't yes, I didn't do Haven because Haven was an ongoing series. Yeah. Thank God I, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do the Dead Zone TV show. Right, right, right. Okay. I didn't do like Kingdom Hospital. But I did I didn't do that because it wasn't based on a King work. Oh, right. It was that's based him, on the Lars von Trier. him adapting Lars von yeah, Trier. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I didn't do anything that he adapted. No sequels unless they were based on a King short story sure. or novel. Um, anyway, I'm glad, luckily I ended that podcast, not podcast. That was a ranking. I ended the ranking before, uh, Lisey's story. Oh, we talked, we've talked about Lisey's story. We've talked about Lisey's story. Oh, I've <laughs> talked with talk you about Lisey's story, story off, offline many, many a time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, um, anyway, yeah. I, all, I, I got off track, obviously. Um, but Dolores Claiborne, uh, always a pleasure to revisit, um, you know, in any context, but especially when I have a reason to. So Chris, where did it fall in your ranking? Yeah. Yes. Super good question that I should have done before I came here. Um, I would. Put I think this it. Very I think high. it was. I would. I think it was on the higher side. My number one was Misery. I. I do think that Kathy Bates is like you know the finest Stephen King actor. Sure. Um, in her three performances, she has a cameo in the Stand miniseries. Oh, she um, does. She's the talk show host. That's right. Yeah, I think that I think it's just those three. Yeah. But you know, I, I mean, like you can't really argue with like Misery or Dolores Claiborne. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure someone can. Um, it was definitely high. It was definitely high. And I actually watched this movie for that ranking when I was in Maine, and I was oh, like lovely. staying by myself in I've a never little Maine to town. Maine. Um, it's it's exactly what you'd expect. Yeah. Was my experience of Maine. That's nice. Um, but it was a fun movie to watch there. It's a very made movie, like, you know, most most Stephen King adaptations are. But I think because Little Tall Island is, like, a very yeah. distinctive kind of, like, on-the-water Stephen King location, which I believe is only in one other. It's only King. otherwise in Storm of the Century, which Storm was the, the original right. screenplay he did, he wrote for the the ABC miniseries that right. i yes i've i re it's all it exists all or mostly all on youtube i don't know if it's streaming anywhere but i like stumbled upon it on youtube and just like watched the majority of it one day and it's an interesting it's it has the same problems that all of those mick garris directed 
uh, ABC miniseries. Which is so, m- so many of them. The Stand so of- and <laughs> The Langoliers and uh, The Shining, the, the TV version of The Shining, which everybody really hated and I only like I kind of stick up for in certain little nooks and crannies did you like when the um when the hedge animals some of the worst CGI <laughs> such, ever put on television such horrible CGI no here's the thing that I say about the the, the shining miniseries and this sort of goes into uh, we're gonna have a lot of tangents in this episode listeners I'm just gonna tell you right now there's just gonna be a lot of them and we're just gonna have to uh, put up with them um the the whole thing where Stanley Kubrick adapts The Shining in 1980, does his Stanley Kubrick thing, kind of looks down upon the source material and is like, I'm going to take from this what I want. I'm going to create this stunning and terrifying and like incredibly accomplished movie that everybody loves and Stephen King hates for reasons that I can't really hold against him because like... It's his baby, you know what I mean? Like, he's the one who wrote the novel, and then Stanley Kubrick sort of, like, changes the whole thing, and then Stephen King spends, like, two decades being, like, grumble, 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 he ruined my book, and eventually this TV miniseries comes out, which is cheaper and chintzier, and it's Stephen Weber instead of Jack Nicholson, and, like, I think Rebecca DeMornay is actually really good, but um, she is the actual hotel that it's inspired by, right? I think that's right, or at least partially, there are like so many hotels involved in like the inspiration of The Shining, or like, and they all hold you know, festivals every year. And they're all they're right. They're all like we are the real yes. overlook. But I think the thing about the, the the Shining miniseries is I'm glad that something exists that tells that story uh, on so screen. that he can because, backtrack like, and be like, you know, the movie's good. Well, it's, <laughs> it's it also something. like it's. It, they, they're two separate things. And like, there are, right. there are thematic things that, that King does with the way that the shining ends in terms of like, uh, I don't know, in terms of the Jack Torrance character that like, and because the Jack Torrance character was so tied up with him, because it was so tied yeah. up with his own alcoholism and his own substance abuse and he, his feelings of guilt about being a father while, you know, dealing with all that, that like, I'm glad that he got to got, get that out of his system at least. But here's the thing, not that I'm going on a tangent. Is that no, Stephen King is to. wrong about The Shining. Stephen King is wrong about the character of Jack Torrance, and I feel like... In what way? Stanley, Explain. In in the way of, like, him, his problem being, in part, that Jack Nicholson is too crazy and scary from the beginning, and that, like, the story is about the ghost of the hotel slash alcoholism infecting this character until he becomes, like, sure. the scary violent man, when, like... Jack Torrance already broke his son's arm and, like, is mm-hmm. a That's fair. scary, mean drunk. And I think that he, like, hides it well. Yeah. But I feel like I, I always had a hard time with that because I read it again and I was like, this guy is, like, not a chill person. Right. And I don't think that, like, I mean, Stephen Weber also is, like, not a very chill person to me, just has, like, a little bit of a vibe. Sure. But um, I do feel like that complaint about the Kubrick Shining is not fair I, I his other thing is that the movie is like too cold which i think is like fine if you want to argue that the that movie makes it's, more sense the, the movie is completely its own thing and succeeds incredibly well on its own merits that's the thing. i just wanted i just wanted to say he no, was wrong about his own creation yeah. because, well, and you know. stephen king is also not in the position to really kind of i mean it's not just that the movie's its own thing and the book is its own thing it's like they're kind of diametrically opposed because like stephen sure. king for i think for the most part is a very literal artist like his sure. version of the story is like yes ghosts essentially infect this man and create violence whereas sure. like what kubrick creates is like 
it, there is some open room for interpretation of whether or not this is all happening in reality that this man is an addict, yeah. lapses, and becomes violent, or were ghosts there or not. Like, and that's part yeah. of what's so powerful of the movie. I just feel a little bad because like, it really is like a hopeless task of being like the only person to argue against a movie that everybody loves and everybody thinks is brilliant. And an artist that everybody agrees is like one of the greatest ever. And to Mick arg- and to, ar- <laughs> to what's that? <laughs> I said Mick Garris. Is that- <laughs> and to argue from the position of like, you know, as like Stephen King cannot make a movie like, you know, Stanley Kubrick can. But by that same token, Stanley Kubrick couldn't write a book as good as The Shining. You know what I mean? And like, I feel like people sort of brush past the second part. Like, they're two artists on completely different d- missions. And yeah, I, and I think that, but it's interesting because Stephen King has always been a very, um, visual writer and you know his books yeah. feel like movies and that's been, that's why they're adapted constantly mm-hmm. um and he's obviously been involved in so many adaptations of his work that it, it just it invites the comparison it invites the kind of like yeah. you know uh debate over whether it's an accurate or like a fair adaptation or if it's better than the book or right. you know whatever it is um and obviously, you know, I, th- I think he was a fan of Dolores Claiborne. It probably still is. He's obviously with us and still talks about movies constantly on Twitter. Yes. Um, but I believe he's a fan of Dolores Claiborne. Uh, Chris, I mean, I would you- say, like, the movie that we're at least talking about today is one of the best books and certainly one of the best movies. Of, uh, it's what, of it's definitely King one of the best universe. adaptations. Chris, I don't know if we've ever talked about Stephen King on the podcast before, and I kind of don't know... What I read ex- a shit ton of Stephen King as a teenager. I was going to say, this talk, talk, I remember being among my Give me your history with Stephen King, because Stephen King sort of famously for me, and when I say famously, I mean a thing that I know, is <laughs> um, that's how I started, that's how I got into reading as a sort of teenager. Mm-hmm. I, I went through a period in sort of uh, what you would call, I middle school, my elementary school was K through eight, so we didn't really have middle school, but like during those years, and I kind of, really didn't like to read and i I was having trouble making the transition from like kid stuff to like reading grown-up books and my dad had a bunch of stephen king around the house and so the one day i like a crazy person picked up the unabridged and expanded version of the stand which is like 1100 pages and started I don't reading read grown up books, but I will read this doorstop. And that was the the first like book meant for adults that I ever read. And I was I went through like a, a crazy Stephen King phase for the next like three or four years, where I just Damn. read all of his older stuff. So like yeah, talk- there is at least there's at least gay shit in the in the stand. Although it is well, um, it's violence. It is gay rape, which. Incidentally, is in a lot of Stephen uh-huh. King books, including it. the. In, yeah, I mean, anyway, we can talk about that separately. Well, so, but yeah, he has a problem with homicidal psychopaths who are a little gay. Yeah. So, Chris, what was your what were your faves as a teen? Reading um, this misery, I also spent an entire summer reading The Stand. Um, I mean. I I also like the books that are like the short story books that are oh, like, yeah. you know divided into pieces like yeah. um 
Is Different Seasons the one that has Hearts in Atlantis? No, Hearts in Atlantis is the one that has Hearts in Atlantis. Oh, Hearts in Atlantis has Hearts in Atlantis. Different Seasons is the one with the body, which That's is Stand by Me. That's the one that has Opt Pupil and Stand by Me. Yes, and Shawshank, and I believe. I Shawshank? Yeah. 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 Um, I read The Green Mile, which liked at the time. Uh, don't think I would devote the time to reading that book now. That's when I was um, really getting into it. And I wor- that was when I was working at the public library was when The Green Mile was getting released serially. So mm-hmm. um, that was that was an interesting time. And like Bag of Bones, I think, was new around that time. And what a weird book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that era. Of, that was sort of like the late when 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 he was getting a little past his prime. I would say there are still like very good books after that. I was loved... it Bag of, wasn't Bag of Bones post accident. I think it or was, was. That right before. No, I think it was because everything everything post accident is like wild. Yeah, I, like you know, some of it's good, yes. some of it's terrible. It's all just like was desperation one of the last ones before the accident, or was it one of the first ones after the accident? I think it was. No, one that of was the early last ones before. That was earlier nineties yeah. because they adapted that. That was the twin novel with um the box the regulators. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's I love and sure. the 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 audio book, which is how I I think that was the how I read. Uh, desperation the first time i think i've read it twice was the audiobook i was on vacation and i got the the audio cassettes out of the library and i listened to it and that audiobook was narrated by kathy bates uh so i always hear uh the 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 desperation when i think about that book i i i hear it in kathy bates's voice because she does the voices and it's a whole thing um, I was going to say my first Stephen King book was actually Carrie because I remember reading it in the fifth grade and yeah. like my teacher pulling me aside and being like, this is a book for grownups, but I think you can handle it. Oh, like someone's uh, a pleasure to have mortified because at that point I was gaining some self-awareness and I was just fully retreating uh-huh. and like uh-huh. not wanting to be seen. Uh, I, uh, you know. I was not willing to be perceived, um, and, but also feeling like, oh, okay, she just gave me a compliment. I'm a grown up now. Um, one one last thing, uh, Lewis, before we get into your Oscars origin story is uh, before we brought you in, Chris sort of uh, had a little bit of a reaction when I called this a horror uh, film, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that is because like it is an interesting genre mix in this movie and would you would you because i know you are you're a go-to person for me for like the scream movies and stephen king stuff but also like generally horror so like uh, where would you fall on that i i mean i'm usually pretty generous with what i call horror and i i would you know i think it's totally reasonable to label this as horror i don't know that it really falls into that category in, in, you know, I think there's definitely horrific elements. There are like, but I think it like there's seen the scenes of horror, I think stand out because that's not what the bulk of the movie is. Right. So those scenes stand out. I mean, I think that like the book to me was a very conscious, you know, you, I, I ended up reading a ton of Stephen King for that podcast. And when I got to Dolores Claiborne, it was like such a departure. Um, not only because it was like the best female character he'd written, up to that point. Yeah. Um, but I think because it just felt like it was um, very much playing in a different genre. Sure. Um, which obviously he'd done before that. But I, right. I think, you know, I think it stands out for a reason. If um, it's not the reteaming of Kathy Bates and Stephen King, it probably doesn't register as horror for me as I as I think about it. Because, like, 
uh, and I, I imagine it's just sort of that's my entry into this is because it's like well, well there is there is that 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 scene when she's when when Jennifer Jason Lee is like looking in the mirror and it's like the back of her that's head. a horror that is a, yeah. that's a horror scene yeah. mm-hmm. and like that's a very you know yeah. a very obvious horror scene so you know horror adjacent so uh, for first time guest Lewis we want to ask you. Um, about your Oscars uh, origin story, you're a you're a you know uh, a comic book guy and a, and a Buffy nerd and all that. So like, I don't need to explain origin story for you. Um, <laughs> but um, what where do you come into the Oscars sort of uh, uh, culturally? Um, my origin story. I mean, my earliest memories. My parents used to have an Oscar party every year. So like. That was like the first like, you and Karina Longworth had uh, parents who threw Oscar parties every year. They threw an Oscar party and a New Year's Eve party, um, and the Oscar party was always much better. Although, okay. um, it, you know, it was, I think the Oscar party it's different when you're in LA because they end so much earlier. Sure. Like whenever I try to do social Oscar stuff now, I'm like extremely tired because yeah. <laughs> it's way too late. Or even watching the Tonys was you know it just goes too late um yeah no i mean it was like a big part of my upbringing and uh yeah i don't know that was i i definitely like watched the oscars long before i'd seen any of the movies nominated for oscars sure. um and it was always uh a a deli catered affair sure so those are my associations with the Oscars. Were your parents like invested in, in certain movies winning or or not winning? I I don't know. Like yeah. I don't I don't think so. I think it was just an excuse to like. Sure. I mean, it was like L.A. So people I don't know. They weren't like with industry people, but like sure. people close enough to to be to care. Um, my yeah. dad like is a you know both of them like see everything and and care about movies, but I don't remember them ever like. I don't remember them ever being like super excited for any one movie to win. Right. Um, I do remember them being appalled about Brokeback losing because they're allies. Yes. Um, so that's <laughs> what I people. remember. But, but, but like, I don't, you know, I don't yeah. know what, I don't know where their heads were in the nineties. I don't know what they were like, sure. you know, up in arms about. Right. They love Billy Crystal. So that's really kind of, well, that feels like a generational totem. Is, generational Jewish. Yeah. It's just sure. kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. really what, what you're there for is yeah. to see what Billy Crystal's going to sing. Well, I mean, yeah, weren't we all? Um, all right, Lewis, we've, we've, uh, dithered around for long enough. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes of Dolores Claiborne. And before we do, we're going to have you deliver a 60 second plot description of the movie just so as soon as I pull out my little, uh, stopwatch. But first, I'm going to run down the particulars for our listeners. We are talking about, uh, Dolores Claiborne, the 1990 film, 1995 film directed by Taylor Hackford, uh, written by Tony Gilroy, interestingly enough, based on the novel by Stephen King, starring Kathy Bates, Jennifer Jason Lee, David Strathairn, Christopher Plummer, Judy Parfit, uh, John C. Riley, Alan Muth, Eric Bogosian, and Eric Bogosian. Did you notice that? He gets the and credit in this thing. That's a generous <laughs> and credit, I feel like, in this for, uh, for, uh, successions, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, analog, Eric Bogosian. Um, and Bob Gunton, who I should say, uh, Chris, 
is already a five timer without me noticing. Uh, he's gotten to five. He's gotten to five on we're our uh, spreadsheet. So Bob. the next Bob Gunton movie, we're going to do a. Uh, a, a is quiz. Bob Gunton the only person on the planet who has played both Sweeney Todd and Juan Peron? Wait, is that true? <laughs> yes, I didn't realize he was a he was a big theater guy. I think he was the Sweeney in the uh, the first revival that no one ever talks about. Oh wow. Who was who that, was Mrs. Lovett in that one? That's a great question. All right, I have to look it up. While I, I while think... I'm having Lewis do a plot description, you can well now I'm just out. thinking about that production of Sweeney Todd. Um, but I can <laughs> I can I can do a plot. Now that we've distracted you, um, <laughs> uh, the film premiered on March 24th, 1995. Interestingly enough, the Friday before the Oscars of that year. That was back when the Oscars were still on a Monday night, and also when the Oscars were still in late March. So. Um, uh, we're so not a, not a fourth not a fourth of July release then no no it <laughs> somehow premiered out of season on March twenty fourth nineteen ninety five um, uh, we'll talk on the other side of this about like how much Oscar buzz this movie actually had and whether I just want to talk about Dolores Claymore um, but uh, <laughs> Lewis I have my stopwatch ready if you are ready for a sixty second plot description uh, we can start okay let me know when to start all right and go. Uh, Dolores Claiborne is a domestic servant who is accused of murder after she's found holding a rolling pin over the bloodied body of her employer, Vera Donovan. Dolores' estranged daughter, Selena, heads back to her childhood home of Little Tall Island, where she hasn't been for 15 years. They haven't spoken since then because Selena believes that Dolores killed her father, Joe St. George. Dolores keeps flashing back to different moments of her life. We learn that even though Vera was a hard bitch, she and Dolores bonded and Dolores cared for her after a debilitating stroke. Vera had actually tried to kill herself and was begging Dolores to finish the job before she died from her injuries. We also learned that Joe was an abusive monster and that Dolores has been stashing away money so that she and Selena could escape him. In the past, when Dolores discovers that Joe has been sexually abusing their daughter and stole all the money she'd saved, she tells Vera, who points out that an accident can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Dolores uses the distraction of a total solar eclipse to lure Joe into an abandoned well where he dies. In the present, Selena remembers what her father did to her and forgives Dolores and manages to get her off the hook for Vera's death, maybe a little too cleanly. Boom! With five seconds to spare, Lewis Peitzman. Very good. Well it was like it was like, it was like barely intelligible, but it was there. No, it was good. I've I've been much more motor <laughs> better mouthed than either of us have done. Yeah, in, uh, a long time. Well done. Um, so lots to get into just in terms of uh the plot of this movie, but let's. I guess we should start with the screenplay adaptation because, as Chris mentioned. Uh, this was a pretty significant overhaul from the structure of the book. And also there are things like in the book, Dolores has three kids. And in this one, it's pared down to one because that's all you really need. You know, the two kids are like beyond extraneous uh, in the story anyway. Drag them. Um, <laughs> but and then and, and in sort of fleshing Just things out. Fuck them kids. Um, uh, in, so, Lewis, you reread the novel in preparation for this podcast. I yes. did not. Oh, I okay. Not. I thought no, no, I, no. when you said you reread it, I didn't know when you reread it. No, 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 no. I read it for that podcast I did years ago. Yes, 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 I, yes. I, I, I did like look things up to, to you know, refresh my memory. Is um, Selena a character who is back in Little Tall in the book or no? I don't, I don't believe so. they're not. I don't think they're she not. Is. They're also not, they're not as strange in the way that they are in right. the movie. Right. And that's one of the, the the biggest change of the movie is the is kind of like focusing more on that relationship, which mm-hmm. is not really the point of the novel, which is more just Dolores kind of like excavating her memories, right, to explain why she didn't kill this woman, but also how she did kill her husband. Yes. Uh, so the Jennifer Jason Lee character is is fleshed out. The the Christopher Plummer character 
uh, if he exists as that name in the book, he's certainly not this like vengeful uh, figure from Dolores's past come back to try and nail her to the cross again the way he is in this. Christopher Plummer, in a movie where everybody at some point or another is sort of over the top in a way that I think ultimately works, Christopher Plummer is delicioso in this. He really <laughs> yes. just sort of like tears into this role. It's really second only kind of to Judy Parfit, who is um, a, a wonder in this thing. The like, book genuinely. does have that great um, like reveal about Vera, though, that the movie does not have, which is that she like... Um, she George and Martha to her kids. Yes, and her kids. Her kids are are dead, and she like. Yes, she pretends they're alive, and they're and she talks about them the whole time, and it's like they've actually they died in the car accident years ago. Right, and that they yeah. and that that uh, Dolores didn't even know, and she assumed that the money was going to go, the money in the will was going to go to them, and right. that's a big part of the reason why she's so shocked that uh, that she's inheriting this money. Yes, uh, the book and the movie both make reference to the fact that Vera, um, uh arranged to have her husband killed in the car accident that he was yes. that monologue she gives where she goes uh, husbands die every day and leave their wives their money sometimes they're coming home from their mistress's house and, uh, uh it's so good the brakes go out in their car she's so good um uh so tony gilroy at this point hasn't made the transition into being a director but he was a like real prolific screenwriter up until this point anyway. And I think it's a really, it's a, a, like, I think the book is great too, but I think it's obviously you couldn't adapt the book directly as a movie because it's just so limited. And I think it's a really smart adaptation. It's not, yeah, it definitely expands on what the book uh, has in it. But I do think that it's like, it's tonally not that far from it. And some of the lines are directly lifted in a way that you can't normally, I mean, just because the book is written in Dolores's voice. Oh, and, 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 and Stephen King her. indulges that a lot <laughs> in his books where he like, he'll phonetically spell out like uh, there's so many that main accent with like gory and, and uh, um, I know the books are littered with like every, all the, all the main people just oh, being sure, like, yeah. Um, and so like that to me, anytime that kind of stuff makes its way into the movies, I'm like, oh yeah, that's all, that's Stephen King for you. But I, I do think a lot of, I think a lot of those lines that are like so iconic in the movie are directly from the book. I'd have to double check on like all of them, but I, I believe think so. that, that all those, uh, all, all the great ones. Um, I like that the, the poster uses the sometimes an accident can be an unhappy woman's best friend, which is yep. obviously like a great line, but we all like it should be the line about you know being a bitch. Which sometimes like, being a bitch is all they, the woman has to hold on to. They could have put it on the poster, but they should have. Yeah. It's like the point of the movie. <laughs> um, it's so I want to run down Tony Gilroy's uh, screenwriting credits very briefly because it's a really interesting. And a lot of these were, I imagine, rewrites. Like he's the sole credited screenwriter on Dolores Claiborne, but like uh, he's a credited screenwriter on The Devil's Advocate, which I imagine was a movie that probably went through uh, a few rounds of rewrites. Same with um, Armageddon, which uh, he is one of... Hold on. Probably no less than 17 screenwriters. Actually, it's only three, but one of them is J.J. Abrams. It's it's Tony Gilroy, J.J. Abrams, and Jonathan Hensley. And I imagine those are three different passes at this screenplay. Well, he's credited as adaptation by... So is that like... 
Perhaps. He just took a... He, yeah, okay. So that uh, was a, a late pass? His first screenplay credit is The Cutting Edge, though, which just makes me absolutely adore him. And that is a sole-credited screenwriter. Uh, so that's uh that's all him he's the man who wrote topic and that's uh that's good enough for me um but like proof of life the born identity the born supremacy like the the um and then his directorial debut is the uh, proof of life by the way is another taylor hackford movie so uh, clearly uh gilroy and hackford will eventually do proof of life um but michael clayton is the big one in 2007 then where he writes and directs and gets an oscar nomination and i love that movie so so much and i also love duplicity which is a movie that bombed at the box office and kind of killed clive owen's career as a leading man like at some point the the studios were just like we're just not giving clive owen leading roles anymore and it's a bummer because it was like well children of men didn't make any money and duplicity didn't make any money and it's just like yeah but they were all so fucking good um so do you know what clive owen was in joe what's that do you know what clive owen was in lisey's story lisey's Le- story <laughs> yeah, <he sure> fucking <laughs> was. oh god christ almighty um as was jennifer jason lee um so yeah, uh, Chris, what do you where where do you come down on the the adaptation? Um, I mean, I think it, all of the you know changes to make it cinematic make complete sense to me. Um, like I don't think that any of them are bad decisions. I think that there might be some pacing issues that I can't tell if I feel like sure. that's at fault of the screenplay or Taylor Hackford's direction, but. I mean, all of these decisions make complete sense. And this is still a very, like, propulsive movie for the most part. And, you know, even though we're not told all of this in monologue, we still get really uh, into Dolores's head. Um, Yeah. It's it's implied that she is monologuing a lot, though. Like, she's, like, sitting down at the table <laughs> yeah. and talking to her daughter for, like, I don't know, an you'll hour. Get a, you'll get a long flashback segment, and then they'll come back, and you'll realize by something that Selena has said, like, oh, Dolores has just been telling her this. This is her. Yeah. Yeah. He, he found these, like, screenwriting tricks to keep the interiority of what, you know, is essentially all, mem- mostly memory. Right. Um, right. There is a pacing thing that I didn't really, I didn't think about it until watching it this time. And I think it's smart that like, it's basically halfway through the movie when you see how Vera actually died. Um, so that's not really like the big reveal. And then you kind of like the climax being seeing how Joe died, but then like it sort of hinges on like the last actual reveal is like the sexual abuse, which like we don't actually, I feel like by that point, kind of assume happened like there's no reason why that would be i just feel like it's a it's a weird the movie kind of leads to that big moment well and i it's supposed to be that well this is selena finally remembering right but i think but it plays as a shock to the audience that this is like a reveal to us and it's like yeah at that point we don't we don't necessarily need that information i think because this the movie is juggling these two mysteries essentially we get they kind of oscillate back and forth between the two of them and we get pieces and pieces to where both of them kind of become predictable Yeah, in the way that the story is structured. It's like it releases information to us that we kind of already know right. or have figured out. And maybe right. that's also just because this is a two hour plus movie that maybe doesn't need to be. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, like structurally, it all makes sense to me. It's yeah. just maybe imperfect. They're uh, still good. So like, no, I'm, I I'm, yeah, I get that, and I think and, yeah, and Gibbs at the very least allows for Kathy Bates and Jennifer Jason Leigh to sort of take center stage with this, which is basically yeah. what you you want out of this movie, and um. Taylor Hackford's an interesting angle on this, Mr. Helen Mirren himself, who is a director who I think people are always surprised at the movies that he's directed sort of throughout his career, where it's like he directed An Officer and a Gentleman, which was like a he was a DGA nominee for that. Uh, he directed mm-hmm. Against All Odds. He directed White Knights, which if that's not when he met Helen Mirren, like certainly she stars, she's one of the stars in that. Uh, White Knights is, of course, uh, the cinematic excuse for the uh, Phil Collins, Marilyn Martin song uh, to be nominated for an Oscar. What the hell's the title of that, Chris? You know it. Um, uh, separate is that lives. Against All Odds? No, that's Separate Lives. Against All Odds is Against All Odds. Um, huh. Separate Lives, which is one of my favorite, very hammy 80s Oscar best yes. song nominees. Uh, he, uh, after Dolores Claiborne, it's a real interesting run. Uh, D- D- Devil's Advocate, Proof of Life. Again, both of those with Tony Gilroy, and then gets Best Picture and Best Director nominations for Ray, which is uh, his last sort of big movie. Like Love Ranch barely showed up. Um, Parker, the uh, Jason Statham, Jennifer Lopez movie. Like, there's a Jason Jason Statham, Jennifer Lopez movie that nobody has nobody seen. talks about. Like, it's crazy to me. Directed by Taylor Hackford, yeah. Um, and then that De Niro movie, The Comedian, which also nobody saw. So, like, it's it's wild the cliff he falls off of directly after his biggest, you know, professional accomplishment with Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes some interesting choices in Dolores Claiborne, and a lot of them are very obvious choices. I think you think of things like the color filters on, like, the chilly present versus the, you know, the sunny... Uh, sort of uh, warm, warm filtered past, right? Like winter versus summer and, and that whole kind of thing. But like things like a character sort of uh, turning and seeing uh, someone from the past and then all of a sudden you're, you're, uh, you're in a different timeline. I have some conflicted feelings about this because you kind of feel like you're pushing it in the direction of calling some of that stuff corny. Whereas like I feel like. I can't decide or figure out or deduce if the movie is just like begging to become this like Douglas Sir women's picture I don't think melodrama, you're wrong. I don't or think if you're he's wrong. He's pushing it in that direction and I think it's a brilliant choice or like that's what this material kind of is but he doesn't have the goods to get it there or that's not really his style because it's like it's almost there it's but not look at the screen grab that lewis has behind him on the zoom like it's well, this, the is one... a, this is a this is a solar eclipse show so just keep that in mind <laughs> but it's a solar the, eclipse happening but it's the eclipse with it's the see it's the shot with uh dolores staring down into the well and the the you know rapidly eclipsing sun is behind her and the sky is this like these the colors are are not like even for eclipse colors, they're just like incredibly vivid and and not quite real. Everything is just this side of surreal, and that's where I think your thing about like I I didn't want to say Douglas Sirk because I thought you might slap me from from several states away, Chris. But like no, that's sort of I mean like I think that's kind of what 
I don't know. Like, I feel like it's so close to getting there, and there's something that's holding it back, and yeah. that's what makes me feel like it's almost accidental that that's where Taylor Hackford ends up. Except but, for like, the fact be- that, like, look at the subject matter, though. It's like, this is very melodrama-heavy subject matter. This is, you mentioned woman's picture, right? Like, she's just this, you know... Well, you read some of the original reviews, like, especially Owen Gleiberman, my nemesis, yeah, <laughs> review for it. Like, he... Is always like, uh, these movies of the week, these trashy subject matter where it's like, you say that about any movie that's about a woman. Sure. And suddenly it's mo- movie of the week territory to these assholes. And like, it's all such, um, uh, you know, it's derogatory, like, it's also derogatory towards a movie of the week. Um, right. Which we don't really have those anymore, but like, contextually it's like issue movies finger quotes and like this is a pretty harrowing movie about domestic abuse and uh childhood sexual abuse and apparently that's just like a trite topic to like some of these sure i'm gonna bring this up as with the full knowledge that we are uh, three cisgender men talking about this movie, uh, which was written by a uh, cisgender man, adapted by a cisgender man, and directed by a cisgender man. It's, it would have been interesting to have a woman in some level of the creative hierarchy in this movie somewhere, right? Like, am I the only person who sort well, of thought of that? I No, and I was thinking about the Stephen King of it all, because when you read this and you read Gerald's Game, which yes, are obviously... I wanted to bring paired, that up. Yeah, thank you. Paired novels, like, he was very much trying to course correct and trying to, like, give women interiority in a way that he had never really managed to do. Uh-huh. And I think, I think like, the word that I use when I'm talking about Stephen King's female characters, like, Dolores Claiborne on is, like, well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. There's, like, definitely, like, an attempt being made here, but he doesn't quite get there, and there are always kind of um, things holding him back, and not to be reductive about it, like, I think part of it probably is a gender thing, and Stephen King also is just, like, generationally, and where he's from, and his background, he kind of always get stumbles a little bit. And I think the movie... Um, actually deepens the characters and obviously makes Selena an actual character, but it still can't quite get there. Sure. Um, so it, it, it's, um, the thing that I like in terms of, uh, those characters though is that like the movie, the opening of the movie and kind of the first half an hour is like how it, they're super unlikable and they're, yeah. and they're cold and they're kind of unpleasant in a way that I would love to see. I don't know. Like, I, they obviously soften, especially like Dolores and learning more about her. But um, I kind of just like that they are being hard bitches and that it's like called out and that yeah. it's very much an intentional choice. All three major or main female characters in this movie say the same line about being a bitch is, is the only thing a woman has. To Which want. is why I'm using the word bitch um, right. in, a it's a, celebrat- it's- in a celebratory way in quoting the movie. That's right. Um, being a hard bitch and being a cold bitch, obviously is something to celebrate. One thing I, you made me remember, uh, cause uh, you mentioned the connection of this, uh, of Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's game. And I want to talk about that in a second, but Stephen King also wrote a book in the nineties that I actually never read called Rose matter, which I remember there being talk of Kathy Bates being in an adaptation of that as well, that I believe was going to be an HBO movie and it never came to pass. Uh, 
do you remember anything about that one, Lewis? Does that uh, I remember do- that I didn't read it, but okay. it, but it was it was it was discussed. It was like very he was very deliberately trying to like yeah. include women in his writing, yeah. and like I think that Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game are like his most overtly feminist yes. novels. Um, flaws and all, like they very much are, you know, and they're obviously both about abuse, child sexual abuse, yeah, and eclipses. Um, but they're they're you know that's like Stephen King feminism. So Gerald's not the, game, not the eclipses part, but the eclipses just you know a thing that happens. Stephen, well, King? he always has connective tissue through all of his uh, stories. This, however, is connected to uh, Little Shop of Horrors because the day of the eclipse, <laughs> when Dolores lets her husband die, is <laughs> the day that Audrey Two arrives um, yeah. in a city somewhere else uh, in the United States. Yeah, so I believe Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game were both published in the same year. Or if not the same year, like within a year of each other, like very close together. Uh, he does this every once in a while where he'll twin novels. Uh, I mentioned Desperation and The Regulators, even though that was technically a Richard Bachman pseudonym. Um, but Gerald's Game was very, was somewhat recently adapted. I think it was like 2017, 2018 by Mike Flanagan before Mike Flanagan did Doctor Sleep. Um, but after he had done, um, Oh, what's the one with Karen Gillan? Um, Oculus? Oculus? Yeah, and, Oculus. And uh, Hush, which I actually really uh, liked, which was a Netflix movie with John Gallagher Jr. Playing I believe a movie that no longer exists on Netflix. Oh, is, is it not I, on Netflix anymore? May, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I think it, I, 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 at some point I thought it was going to be removed from Netflix, but Ugh, I actually can't streamers. keep track. Gerald's Game is still there because I went and I watched the. Yes, the, I, I, the I watched it on it, Netflix. Uh, you watch, you you just you just watched the degloving scene. You didn't watch any of the. I actually came in right after the degloving scene because I wanted to see the thing with the monster, the the scary, uh, uh, necro so necrophilia. You, you didn't watch. You didn't watch the part where she literally <sighs> connects with Dolores. Uh no. Well, I watched that part. I think I skipped around the degloving. Okay. That's what I did. Okay. Um. So the thing also ab- in in the Gerald's game was it a movie or a miniseries? It's a movie. There is a sequence where she like psychically connects with Dolores Claiborne. Yeah, yes. it's the same as in the book where she when she's like it's a she, little bit more pronounced in the book, but yes, she sees herself at the bottom of the well looking up at Dolores, but she doesn't know who uh, Dolores is. Right, and like Mike Flanagan, his whole thing, which obviously Doctor Sleep is the same way, where he adapts Stephen King but also like adapts the movies. And so like yeah. visually the eclipse in uh, Gerald's game looks a lot like the eclipse in Dolores Claiborne. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, but when she's describing Dolores, she's actually describing the book cover of Dolores Claiborne yes. of the red dress. <laughs> yeah. But um, yes. Uh, so there's, there's a, there's a very direct connection, which is also in the, in the book that like these two, because it's also, you know, it, I mean, uh, in Gerald's game, what's her name? Now I can't think of Jessie. Her. Je- uh, Jessie. Yeah. She was sexually abused by her father while watching the eclipse. While watching the eclipse. So then she's like psychically linked to Dolores, to I guess Joe somehow, because she's seeing from the bottom of the well where he's, you know, dying. Um, but yes, there's some sort of psychic connection. Yeah. That she, Jesse, after she suffers this abuse, sort of disassociates and, and sees Dolores at the same time that Dolores, while she is waiting for Joe to essentially die at the bottom of the well, Dolores sees this little girl who 
uh she doesn't know and like neither one of them ever met each other after the fact it's just this sort of like psychic connection that exists between these two books and if you'd only ever read one and not the other you probably would like give it a little bit of thought and then like not really because it doesn't really it's a it's a hanging thread but like not much of anything but it connects the two stories and uh understandably Tony Gilroy and Taylor Hackford take that part out of the movie because it doesn't really, there's nothing, there's no film for it to correspond to. But they to. do, they do leave in the Shawshank mention, which I they like. They do. Well, Shawshank. Which I was like, yeah. which I was like, we really could have had that 90s Stephen King cinematic universe if they had just leaned in. Yeah. We were so close. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Flanagan coming, coming later, uh, includes that part. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's always been a really interesting, Easter egg connection between those two. Um, oh, what was the next thing I wanted to bring up to? Um, eh, I lost it. Chris, uh, think of something. Uh, we haven't brought up David Strathairn. Talk, tell, uh, tell the listeners the text you sent me as you were watching. <laughs> I sent it to both. I got, I was like, I got this text too. Cause I, I, uh, I definitely recall that text. Jesus. All right, Chris. There is a moment in the movie where clearly when they have, uh, you know, digitized the movie and made it uh, higher image quality for streaming, you can see through the fabric of his underwear as he's like shoving his ass at the camera. And I was like, wow, Strathairn really posted hole in this movie. But like, I had the same thought watching it. I was like, I don't remember his full butthole full being in butt this movie. Crack? Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. just crack. It's not. It's it's all right. definitely. All right. I'm. I'm just. I mean, Chris is not wrong. Is all I'm saying. Release the it, butthole it cut of Dolores Claiborne. Is that what you're saying? Like we need the whole. Uh, <laughs> the thing about Strathairn in this movie, though, listeners know I love David Strathairn. Yeah. Listeners know I think David Strathairn <laughs> is so hot. Yeah. I think he's the weakness of this movie. I think it's, it's too not much. his best work. I will it's say. not his best work. And maybe it's because to do this level of monstrousness that's very, very broad, even though he's doing obviously horrible things in the movie, he's just maybe not right for that character. He's not right for this, what the movie is asking him to do, where it's asking him to go. Um, the movie it's just, isn't it's very exactly snarly. Yeah. And, the movie like, isn't exactly asking for subtlety. Yeah, but but I think that well, no, but I think that like one of the hard things about that is that like obviously like you know a child is going to feel protective of their parent, but the idea that Selena would be so would have such a hard time believing this that her guy. father was abusive, you know, sexual abuse aside, he was abusive to Dolores. And like she can't, she she only remembers Dolores hitting him when she smashed a glass on his head. Um, so I, I, it's a little bit harder to swallow that when you kind of see this person who is only allowed to play those moments of like, yeah. you know, he suddenly becomes really angry and violent. Uh, to believe that he would be someone you'd be like, I can't imagine him hurting anyone. Well, um, even when he's like being sweet to her before we in the early parts of the movie before we know the 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 depths of his uh his monstrousness even those parts it's like i don't know like i'm sure every like you know little kid loves their you know love their parent when they're being nominally sweet but like it, it it's not like he's like this great dad that like we find out eventually is like all been a lie he's just sort of he's slovenly and he's 
you know, just sort of sits on his his lounge chair, uh, his uh, armchair with a beer and watches the socks or whatever. And it's just like, okay, like, well, like many Stephen King fathers, he is an alcoholic. Well, <laughs> so there's true, there's true. also that. Yeah. Um. All right, we're going to talk about Jennifer Jason Lee for a moment, who. At this same year, she's in that movie Georgia, where she plays the sort of hard-living, very difficult rocker chick. I just watched this for the first time. Oh, what did you think? Um, I think watching this at the same... Watching these two movies at the same time, while I think she is very, very good in Dolores Claiborne, it really puts the Dolores Claiborne performance at a disadvantage, because she is so good She's stunning in, georgia. in georgia it is not only shocking that she didn't get the nomination for georgia but that they still gave it to mayor winningham who is the nicer character it is the nicer character and probably one of those situations where it's like everyone had worked with her and they're happy to see her do well yeah. but like there's not as much for her to do except for slay hard times i feel like that's sure. why she got that oscar nomination. it was also a much less competitive category i've tweeted about this before though sure, but sure, i just sure. want to run down the list of the competition for best actress in 1995 which i made the joke on twitter that like gay slash movie Twitter would not have survived the 1995 Best Actress race because, like, genuinely, the your winner that year is Susan Sarandon for Dead Man Walking. She had been nominated three times in four years. She was, you know, uh, incredibly... Uh, that that Oscar was a long time coming. Uh, nominated against Meryl Streep for The Bridges of Madison County. Uh, Elizabeth Shue for Leaving Las Vegas, which was this, like, big, like comeback movie but also like even when elizabeth shue was starring in things like adventures in babysitting nobody thought that she had this kind of dramatic performance in her so it was this like revelation performance as well emma thompson for sense and sensibility which has the added hook of her writing the screenplay adaptation she wins the oscar for the screenplay uh sharon stone for casino who won the golden globe beat susan sarandon for the golden globe that year also was another like the the narrative on Sharon Stone was, you know, going back to Basic Instinct and she had been so disrespected for that performance. And so the nomination for Casino was a long time coming. And then not nominated for Oscar, you have Nicole Kidman for To Die For, who won the Comedy Golden Globe. Jennifer Jason Lee for Georgia, who won the New York Film Critics uh, Best Actress Prize. Annette Benning for The American President, was a Globe nominee. Julianne Moore for Todd Haynes is Safe, who was an Independent Spirit nominee. Tony Collette for Muriel's Wedding, which was like a big sort of uh, import sensation, got a Golden Globe nomination. Julie Delpy for Before Sunrise, who was probably never like seriously in the conversation, but she's so good in that movie, and that movie's so good. Alicia Silverstone in Clueless, which like a different year, there's maybe some, you know, MTV generation drumbeat for that performance. Angela Bassett in Waiting to Exhale, which, like, Spike Lee justifiably raised holy hell after those nominations came out, that, like, there were no uh, black nominees and that Waiting to Exhale was completely uh, outside of that conversation. Uh, I also threw in Parker Posey for Party Girl because, like, she was, like, an indie sensation that year. It's just from the contenders to the outsiders to every everywhere in between, you could come up with a killer top five in any, you know, in any combination of that list. It's really incredible. And Jennifer Jason Lee was, if not considered like sixth place, was like probably one of her and Kidman were probably the two who were like closest to 
getting that nomination. And I remember after the fact, people, uh, critics being like Jennifer Jason Lee got robbed and she had just previously been robbed for uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. And then before that for uh, Miami Blues. And she uh, uh, was this like great actress of her generation who kept not getting nominated. Um, and now her only nomination is for that horrible movie <laughs> from Quentin Tarantino. Hatefully, yeah. But the thing about her and Dolores Claiborne is Georgia aside, I think it's a, I think it's a really strong performance. I think it's, I think it comes into its own in that final scene where she has that monologue where she makes her mother's case to Christopher Plummer. Um, and the beginning of the movie has, I love a movie that like a nineties movie that really like, uh, lays out all the stereotypical like nineties totems of whatever character we're portraying. In this case, it's the New York City single girl who like is, on pills and smokes all the time and only wears black and is fucking her boss. And yeah, like this whole thing, like there is just oceans of stereotype to, uh, to Selena. Um, but I think she's great. I don't know. Lewis, what did you think of Jennifer Jason Lee? I think she's great too. Although I will say that I think that last scene is like maybe my least favorite part of the movie, um, because of how it wraps things up kind of bizarrely. Um, I don't think she's bad in that scene. Bizarrely how? I just, like, Wait, I want to hear it. Bizarrely how? It's very, like, I mean, that's, I think, the most, like, kind of TV movie of it all. Where sure. it's just, like, yes. she comes in with this speech, and yeah. they're, like, you know, Christopher Plummer, who that by that point has become such a, like, you know, uh, dog with a bone about getting Dolores Claiborne in prison is, like, yeah. you know, gonna let it go because of Jennifer Jason Lee's impass- impassioned speech, um, sure. which was a good speech. I just, it's just yeah. a little bit. It's like silly in a way that I don't love, whereas I think a lot of the movie is silly in a way that I do love. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a sucker for a courtroom a monologue, and a that's like room. it's not in a courtroom, but it's mostly a courtroom. Monologue it's a courtroom monologue. Yeah. It's a courtroom monologue. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. I think it at the same time, like, you know, legally, I don't think they had a great case, right? No, like, yeah, that's some circumstantial <laughs> no. evidence, and you know, the, the but whatever. I think I think no jury would convict. Kathy Bates. Um, there's also a point her, in the her movie, monologues. speaking of legally, there's a point in the movie where uh, Dolores and Selena are made aware of the will and told that she's uh, she's the beneficiary of $1.6 million. And as they're walking away from this, you know, meeting with Plummer and John C. Riley, Jennifer, Jennifer Jason Lee is like, well, you can afford a lawyer now, so I'm going to go back to the city. And I'm like, do you not know how probate works? Because, like, genu- <laughs> like she doesn't just get this money now. Like, no, she's being and also, tried like, for murder. Right, when you're, when you're, right, when you're, like, accused of killing someone. Yeah, you're not getting money, that money. You don't just, like, get that $1.6 million It's like, can and, I like, take an advance out of this, like, ill-gotten <laughs> inheritance to pay for the lawyer? You know what, it's, me? it's, it's Maine. There's a murder tax. It's Maine. It's a very cozy state. They probably <laughs> would let you just kind of borrow what you need. Right, right, right. Um, I will say, the art direction and the sort of, like, the depiction of this, like, even for a Stephen King main town, this is, like, desolate. This is, like, all, like, the only uh, motel closed up five years ago, and this house 
that like she has to move back into after she has to leave Vera Donovan's house is this like I would have re- maybe believed all of that if this was made during like a recession. <laughs> well, I mean, when was the night early nineties recession? But or it also that... it also depends on time of year, right? Because there are so many main towns that are like very lively in the summer when it's in the summer and then are like completely dead. You know, outside of that, and, and Vera only lives in that house until she moves there full time. Right. When her husband dies, like, she had only lived there in the summer. Yeah. Um, so I do think that, like, there are main towns that are not, like, depressingly desolate in the same way, but that are quite empty when it's not, like, tourist season. Interesting that you say that she lived there in the summer and that the 4th of July happens in the summer, and yet we're all getting I on don't, my case. I don't think you're, I don't think you're <laughs> wrong that it's a summery movie. I think it's a very... It's a warm <laughs> film. There are lots. There are obviously very many warm tones. See the there sun is, quite a bit. They are they are outside. Yes. I think of it as a very sunny movie. Yes. Even when the sun is covered by um, the moon, that's how eclipses work, right? Or is it the Earth? I'm terrible at astronomy. Is it like? Is it the Earth? Depends on the type of eclipse. The solar eclipse is when the moon passes in front of right. the sun. Okay. The lunar eclipse is when the sun passes between the sun. The Earth passes between the sun. And Obviously, the Earth. I know where things are aligned in the in the universe. I'm not an idiot. I clearly knew that. Oh, I I'm, am. I need to. Like, I, this is I, like what me, I will like, say. Yeah. Is that when I was watching this, I looked up because there is a solar, a total solar eclipse happening next year. I know it's going to hit Buffalo. And it's, it's going to be fun. And it's the it's the last one until twenty forty four. So I did look up. We're where not I can seeing say, that next one. Where I could, well, <laughs> let's be optimistic. But I did, um, <laughs> I did look where I could stay. So Dolores Claiborne, come to Buffalo. You know, We're supposed to be able else. to get like a perfect view of it. Everybody's invited. By everybody, I mean you I. Too, I will. I will. I will go up to Buffalo. You should. Okay. We'll discuss uh, later. We'll commit a murder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we're gonna kill beware. david strap <laughs> i do appreciate that Dolores Dolores claiborne makes the clips look more fun because you gotta kill a horrible person yeah yeah whereas i watch this and then i watch gerald's game where the eclipse is like less fun really not, not fun at all not fun. um but yeah i like this version. the filter that mike flanagan uses for the eclipse in uh in uh gerald's game is uh, the fake blood from Scream, you know, when Skeet Ulrich is like, uh, ooh, corn syrup or whatever. <laughs> he just pours that over the lens of the camera. It's like the scene in The Shining where the elevator blood comes off and it splashes in front of the camera and it's like red. Like that is the filter that Mike Flanagan puts on uh, for the eclipse. And you know what? It works for me. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm not saying it was I'm not saying it was a bad choice, but it's like it's it's the reddest of reds. Um, Can we talk about Kathy? I mean, we haven't really yeah. talked about Kathy. Okay, this is why this movie had Oscar buzz in my mind. It's because oh, it's one Kathy. million percent. She, I think this is a performance that goes fully toe to toe with any of those uh, long list of names that we gave. I feel like she is absolutely elevating this movie at just about any point. I think. I mean, I'm not gonna like go to the hyperbole of uh it's as good as her other uh Stephen King performance that that won her an Oscar, but I think it's pretty damn close. Um, they're really and, like, distinct uh, very, and interesting very... roles too. Yeah. Lewis, what do you feel like? How do you feel about the uh about Kathy Bates? The Kathy of it all. Um, yeah, I mean she's a, she's fantastic. I think what I was talking about earlier about how um unlikable they are at the beginning i find yeah. to be it's such an i mean obviously 
you kind of get like the inverse of Annie Wilkes, where she seems like extremely pleasant, maybe a little bit creepy to start, and then is like terrifying, yeah, and violent. Um, whereas Dolores seems like someone who probably would kill her employer. Um, (laughs) and then and then like you get these flashbacks where it's a different, you know, it's a warmer color scheme, and she's smiling, and even though she's in this horrible marriage, like is finding Right. right joy in her daughter. Um. Yeah, I, I think that it's um it is really good. I think it is really distinctive, as you said. Um I don't I mean, I don't know, you'll have to tell me from your area of expertise, like, if there would have been like a lack of interest in giving Kathy Bates a nomination for a second Stephen King adaptation it's very like, possible. years apart. There's something t- there is something to misery as an Oscar winning movie that feels like it's not quite like you get this once and that's it, but like there's a lightning in a bottle aspect to it because it really isn't for as much as I jotted down Stephen King's sort of Oscars history leading up to Dolores Claiborne, where uh, Carrie is 1976. Sissy Spacek gets the best actress nomination. She loses to Faye Dunaway for network. Piper Laurie is also nominated in supporting actress. Uh, Stand By Me, I had forgotten about this entirely, that Stand By Me is an adapted screenplay nominee uh, in its year, uh, Lost to a Room of the View, and then Kathy Bates wins Best Actress in 1990 for Misery, and then in 94, The Shawshank Redemption gets seven nominations. Um, But the nature of the Kathy Bates role, that she is a unadulterated horror movie villain, like it is a genre that the Oscars... Even when they dabble in, they need it to be like really artistic, usually. And I think, you know, Carrie being a, you know, Brian De Palma, very stylish movie, very sort of like 70s stylish, uh, that kind of thing. And the fact that I think Kathy Bates sort of rides to that, be- that best actress win in part because Misery is a really popular, you know, commercial hit and also sort of a cultural hit in that like that you know that movie was sort of on the tip of everybody's tongue and it's a populist win and i think then dolores claiborne comes along five years later and we're talking about this on this podcast mostly because one would imagine that kathy bates doing another stephen king adaptation five years after her oscar win that at least some people would have been like let's keep an eye on that maybe you never know but i do feel like sometimes oscar voters are like well we let you have one and, and, you know, for a genre that is a little bit outside of their preference realm, that sometimes they're just like, yeah, we're not going to do that again. I'm trying to think of like other. I think there's examples. two things kind of holding that back. One, she's at two very different stages of her career totally. with either of these movies. With Misery, like, yes, all of those things that you mentioned were in her favor, but she was also an incredibly respected theater actress who struggled to break into films, too. Yeah. Um, and, like, she talked about that point in her career, too, but she'd been on the stage for things like Frankie and Johnny. She'd been on the stage. She didn't get the Frankie and Johnny movie. Right. Um, uh, Night Mother. And, you know, that's what she has leading into misery leading into uh dolores claiborne you know she's already an oscar winner she's doing movies now and Mm -hmm. you know it's it's kind of like you said not not just that you only get one but it's just it's you know do you do people end up rooting for kathy bates maybe when she feels like less of an underdog than she felt before 
I think also just because it is such a strong best actress field, as I mentioned, that like there was really no call for people filling out ballots to reach back to March to think of contenders, that there were already plenty of contenders in the fall, you know, months in the latter, latter half of the year that there really was no need to, you know, reach that far back. And even though I think it's an incredibly worthy uh, performance. Uh, one of the things... Well, and there's also a long history of, you know, critics groups, though Kathy Bates did get a mention from the Chicago critics for this movie, um, the, and the Academy not recognizing this type of movie, mm. not recognizing the women's melodrama movie, sure, you know, sure, and sure. pushing that into, like, its own, like, you know, uh, something they maybe look down their nose at. Yeah. Um, there's a part in the book that I remember, and I haven't read this book since I was a teenager, genuinely. Um, but I remember there's a part in the movie where Dolores talks about how Vera was very specific about the bed linens, about how she had to uh, go down the the hill and hang them on the clotheslines down there because she wanted the south southern breeze to blow through her linens and and vera's yelling down you know dolores six pins not five and um and i remember in the book they he just stephen king describes that kind of at length this idea of in the winter months she would go down and this the sheets would be steaming hot coming out of the the washer and they would like they talk about it in the movie a little bit they show her hands and her hands are very uh you know worn like time worn and 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 worked very hard but he lingers on it in the book quite a bit about how just this idea of like the 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 incredibly hot sheets and the very cold weather just like ravaged her hands and i remember thinking uh, like that was that was a thing that uh that the, the movie reminded me of and and Kathy's performance in the present day scenes in the movie it's like it's one big sort of calloused hand of a performance you know what i mean like everything mm-hmm. it's on her face it's in her posture it's in the way she like walks and it's in her you know she she's you know she's got a uh, a colorful vocabulary even in the flashback scenes but like in the present day i did write down um what are you, the grand high poobah of upper butt crack? Uh, which is a Stephen King line, if I've ever heard one. But it's like her delivery of it is really, really something. Um, did I write down any of the other ones that she says about? Um, I don't know. There's just like there's a lot of. Oh, at one point, one of the characters. I'm just sort of looking at my notes right now. I think it's Selena. Um, references gene harris she makes like a a passing reference to gene harris who is do you remember the hbo tv movie mrs harris with annette benning where she plays the woman who killed the scarsdale diet doctor is this the one that ellen burston got an emmy nomination for like for eight like seconds eight seconds screen yes time? yes um yeah that's the one so and it re- it reminded me that there's a Seinfeld episode that Raquel Welch is in, where the joke <laughs> is that she's in the she's in the stage musical called Scarsdale Surprise, which is a stage musical <laughs> about the Scarsdale Diet Doctor murder. And I'm like, this must have been like a huge 
like true crimey thing in the early 90s that like nobody talks about anymore because like it's like it's referenced in all of these like odd little corners of pop culture that like that there was the way it's referenced in Dolores Claiborne is just assumed that everybody like knows what she's talking about and I was like wait a second <laughs> I had to look it up um I really enjoyed going on that journey with you thank you it took you. me to places that I could never have uh that's that's what this podcast is for Lewis that's why we're here <laughs> um I also wrote down the 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 rolling pin from the opening scene where she's you know Vera goes down the stairs and we're supposed to think that that Dolores shoved her and then Dolores is ransacking the kitchen for something and the kettle's going off or whatever but she grabs this rolling pin to one assumes bludgeon this woman in the head to like put her out of her misery not to quote a a film title um this rolling pin is made of pure marble and would probably have like put an entire hole in this woman's skull had she like she was a frail she was a frail old a frail old woman and dolores like this rolling pin is like the biggest like just circumference wise just this like giant beast of a rolling pin of solid white marble and it's terrifying to imagine what, what if you want if she wanted to get her like acute like on trial for murder probably a good way to do that would be having her bash in vera's face with a giant rolling pin like i am imagining in the courtroom like bring in the murder weapon and like three <laughs> men are hauling this thing together because no one person can carry it i know she's panicking but you she could just like put her hand over her mouth and nose uh-huh perhaps well that's but... i mean that's selena's sort of uh sort of closing argument too right at the end she's just like you know of all the ways she could have uh, chosen to to deftly get this money she decides to you know throw this woman down a flight of stairs in broad daylight in front of the goddamn post off or a postal worker and then uh ransack the kitchen for a rolling pin that little busybody too. What are you going to, into people's houses if you're the mailman? It's Leave it Maine. In the box and go it's away. Maine, and it's little, yeah, it, it's little tall it's like island, there. and Sammy everyone's Marshall. everyone's door is is open, yeah. and uh, yeah. the town is dead. He has three people to see all day. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think Christopher Plummer does with his like days when he's not trying to get Dolores Claiborne thrown into prison? Like, well, he's he, in from out of town. They make mention of that at the beginning because he's on the phone with somebody, and he's like, "Oh, right, okay." He was just there before, and he's. His, back? Yes. Yes, he's okay. back in town. He like has come in from out of town. That's how much he wants to nail Dolores. He's the summer investigator. Right, got it. <laughs> but he also, his very first thing, you see him, he complains about the, the town not having a fax machine. And like the fax machine is such an important part of this movie. And it's like the 1995 of it all, where Selena's like, give me the cover letter. She gets the she gets the facts of the thing and she's like, give me the cover letter. Who sent this? Uh, and it reminded me uh, that in that same year, this is the same year as The Usual Suspects, which like the twist of that movie hinges on a slow arriving fax of uh, uh, Kevin Spacey's face like sketched. Uh, and that's and it arrives too late for them to, to know that he's a. Uh, uh, the Kobayashi yeah. mug. In yeah. the in the '90s, we got a lot of like mileage out of slow technology, yes. like slowly downloading picture or a disc, like slowly, you know, getting information. Jurassic Park. She's trying to boot up the Unix system or whatever, and it's like it's going so. <laughs> it's slowly. very it's very suspenseful. Yeah. I mean, like yeah, yeah. I totally relate to that. Remember, like looking at internet porn in like the late 90s and trying to like trying to like close things out and everything was kind of frozen and slow harrowing 
Our sophomore year. So uh, in in college, I uh, went to college uh, starting in 1998, which was just at the forefront of things like Napster and high-speed internet and whatever. And all of the on-campus townhouses, the dorms, you had to go to the first floor computer lab if you wanted to be on a computer. Uh, But then... I think between freshman and sophomore year, all the dorms and then all the on-campus townhouses got wired for high-speed internet. Um, but it obviously wireless didn't exist at the time, so you had to like plug it in to the Ethernet uh, port or whatever. <laughs> and I was in a sort of like it was a technically an on-campus apartment, but it was like it was not part of the the uh, favored townhouses. So like we had to arrange for things like our own telephone and our own utilities and whatnot. And so we had dial up internet in this college apartment with four, uh, with four guys. And I have so many goddamn, I I had, I just don't have any of this anymore. So many goddamn partially downloaded songs from like Napster and, and LimeWire and all the fucking thing, because anytime giving yourself, giving your computer cancer so you can have bye 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 uh, yeah except it's bye bye because like by the third bye somebody had like kicked us off of the off of the internet so it the the download had stopped um but yeah uh slow slow technology of the 90s the, the what of the many things that gen z will never understand besides uh human intimacy and uh <laughs> And a future is uh is slow is slow technology. I was gonna I was gonna I, say that I, I we probably sound extremely old, and so instead of reflecting on computer labs, <laughs> I will just say that I never used a fax machine because we had a scanner when I was in high school, mm. uh, so I never had to fax anything. I did for a couple of a couple of my early jobs. Uh, I had to uh, fax things to to places, but we never had like a fax machine at home or anything like that. Um, uh, what an odd fax machines and laser discs I feel like are like occupy the same sort of cultural space of just like a very brief time where they were like a thing fax machines I think they're important. but laser discs they like, still have a following if only because there yeah. are so many random titles that only exist on laser discs sure 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 people you know have their little collections yeah if, if fax machines had hung around longer uh they would have evolved to a place where like you would have been able to watch streaming video on them. And like, at some point, like Xerox would be like making uh streaming television at this point. There's like the <laughs> new Xerox. Xerox, Xerox show. Oh God. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I don't watch that show. It's on Xerox plus and I don't pay. For I don't pay for Xerox plus. Uh, Lewis, you brought us a game and I'm, I'm I did. interested to play. Um, I thought it would be maybe hard, but then after talking to you both, I don't think that it will be. Um, <laughs> My game was name the Stephen King adaptation, where oh I love the title and you have to name the movie based on that title. Oh, okay. So okay. it's the ones where the 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 novel or story title aren't the same as what the movie was called. Correct. Oh, so I love this. A different. I started off really easy. So I like easy. I like games that I can win. I don't know who wants to go first. Also, like, should I be keeping score? I can keep I score I can... while you do this. This is fine. Okay. Okay. Right. So. Chris, you go first, and I'll keep score. Yeah, and if I get it wrong, then Joe gets to I can steal. answer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, the first one is the body. That's stand by me. Correct. That's a point. The second one, secret window, secret garden. Oh, it's one of the two. It's 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 a half of it. It's 
Secret Window. Yes. Which I saw in theaters. It's a terrible movie. Yeah. Um, but, okay, that was the, those were the easy ones to okay. start. Okay, um, uh Weeds. Is... Uh, I have hints also if you if you need hints. Uh, uh, I'm gonna pass and turn it over to. I, I'm gonna need a hint because I have no idea. If I give you a hint, it's gonna reset to, to Chris. Yeah, that's fine. Yes. That's only fair. Yeah. Um, it, it's. I will say that it is. Uh, some of these are anthologies that contain adaptations of these stories. Right. Does that help at so, all? Oh, so like Please. the film would be an anthology. Yes. Oh, is it um, Creep Show? Yes. Very good. Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> trucks. What'd you say? Trucks. Trucks is that Maximum Overdrive? It is. I would also accept the movie Trucks. Oh. The TV movie adapted from Trucks, <laughs> which is like really wild. And it has someone getting killed with a, um, like one of those little remote control cars. Get just out like of here. Hitting Fantastic. them in the head over and over again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's somehow like better but much worse than maximum overdrive okay um a, a movie directed by cocaine okay yes. <laughs> um uh cycle of the werewolf whose question that's is that? yours that's oh yours. that's my question um 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 what was this oh god um because I know Cycle, I remember like the illustrations from Cycle of the Werewolf and it's changed to the title is something super generic um pass it's silver bullet right yes Yes. silver bullet all right i pull into the lead okay um little bit of a trick question i'll say now low men in yellow coats oh this is hearts in atlantis yes yes okay the the story from the book hearts in atlantis right Yes. Which is a different story, not related to the movie. Is that um, true? Wow. That's funny. Uh, okay, these are like the really tricky ones, and then I'll let you both go and see who wins. But um, okay. The Raft. The, mm, I'm trying. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. You're going to have to throw him down. It's another anthology. Are these all films or some of these television? All films. It's another anthology. Uh, it can't be Skeleton Crew, because I also thought that that book was called Skeleton Crew. And the movie is called Skeleton Crew. It's... Is there a Skeleton it, Crew movie? There's the, there's Graveyard Shift. There's books, ma- oh, okay, there's books based on parts of Skeleton that, Crew, yeah. Um, what is, like, water-based... Yeah, I still have to turn it over to Joe. This wouldn't make any sense, but it's not the Twilight Zone movie, right? It's not. But that's not a bad guess. Um, it is a 1987 movie. Okay, so... Anthology from 87. The year I was born. Um, oh, uh, it's... Fuck. I'm gonna... Once you say it, I'm gonna. I'm gonna know... I don't have it, so if you get it before I do, you can yeah, jump in. Um because it's it's not creep show, but it's like um the movie sort of Cassie? You're so you were so close, Joe. Really? Is mm-hmm. it like creep show too? It is creep show too. Get out of here. All right. Fantastic. 
All right, I have I have one more. Okay. Uh, I don't know who it's going to. We'll just throw it out. I've clinched okay. the victory anyway. It's fine. Quitters Inc. Oh fuck. Oh, um shit. Um. And it was a is movie. This like in an office. This was one of his later short stories, relatively. Right. Is it? Uh, what is it? Fourteen oh nine. Fourteen oh eight. Fourteen oh eight is based on fourteen oh eight. Yeah, the, the okay. story. <laughs> um, it's not. It's not. It's not a. It's not a later. It's not. Um, oh, okay. The 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 movie came out in eighty five. Oh well, then definitely not. Quitters Inc. Is it also Creep Show? <laughs> it's not. But you did say the title before. Cat's Eye. It is Cat's Eye. Oh, there we go. There okay, we go. Cat's Eye. Very good. Um, I had harder ones, but I know that no one saw the movie Mercy, the twenty fourteen film Mercy, no. except me when I was doing that ranking. <laughs> It's based on the short story Grandma. I don't recommend it. Okay. So, that was a good game. Good. That was a fun game. Thank you, Lewis. There aren't actually as it. many adaptations with different titles as I thought. I was like, oh, there's going to be so many to choose from. A lot of them went to television. I will say at some point, a lot of them went to television. But mostly with the same title. That's true. That is true. Your Children of the Corns, even, uh, which was a, a feature. So many children, Children of the Corns. How many, how, how many of those movies were made, do we figure? Four uh, or five? There are th- Oh, you mean the sequels? No, like eight. Yeah. Well, the, yes, there are like, yeah, there are like eight of them. Amazing. But there are there are three Children of the Corn. Like, there's two remakes of, at least two remakes of Children of the Corn. One came out like this year. But right? it was like a movie that had been sitting around for many years. Mm. Uh, and then there was the sci-fi remake, which is not available anywhere anymore. But I just remember it because there's this scene where they're having sex and it's like Vietnam flashbacks. And it's a very, it's a lot of choices being made. Um, so it's like Munich, the sex scene in oh Munich. Oh, God, not the sex scene in Munich. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I think it's definitely a movie people would compare to Munich. Absolutely. <laughs> um, this isn't so much a game, but it is uh, maybe a, uh, a poll. Uh, I need each of you to, and give this some thought, decide what is the best judy parfit line delivery in this film (laughs) and like there's a lot of contenders and maybe not always the like most obvious ones i have mine might need you to make a super cut of every time she says the word bitch in this that is true wait so lewis you already have your yours yeah my mine is husbands die every day dolores yeah it's a really good because she just like she's also like you idiot like how do you not realize that we have this option of killing our husbands? Well, and it's also her like uh, revealing after all these years. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the whole scene is incredible. Um, Chris, what is yours? I I mean, I would say the one that ends up being the tagline on the poster, which I hope that she was paid, you know, some type of marketing honorarium or something for it, because it's just so like savoring every syllable. Also with the intention of like, uh, Dolores, let me convince you to do. Well, give us the line. I want to hear your delivery of it. Uh, well, what's the exact wording? It's the, an accident. Sometimes Dolores. an accident can be a woman's best friend. An accident, Dolores, can be an unhappy an woman's accident. best friend. Uh, her delivery of that is tremendous. That's probably I, I also yes. I, well, I on Letterbox I pointed out. My, I think my entire review is that I think it's unfair that like they repeat like half of her best quote. Not, I mean. We can argue over which is the best quote. Yeah. But that you like, but that sometimes you have to be a high writing bitch to survive is actually like, yes. Maybe more important to yes. the ethos of Dolores Claiborne. Yes. 100%. And 
not the part that uh, Dolores latches on to. I also will say uh, for for uh, runners up, I would uh, throw. Don't you just love the bossa nova? A fantastic line. <laughs> Uh, I found them in New York and I simply had to have them. I love that. Uh, she's so happy about the uh, non-Independence non Day uh, eclipse party. Also, it, might, uh, it could have been close enough. It was probably like Fourth of July vibes. Also, not not a uh, not a happy line, but when she goes, has he fucked her? Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's quite good. She's so tremendously good in this movie. I love her. Is she, she's had to have been a theater actress, right? Like her, everything about her sort of. I, I did look actress. her up while I was watching this and I now don't remember anything I learned. Okay. Um, so I'm being extremely unhelpful. Um, I, I learned that I believe she's still working. Oh, she's, she's uh, trained at Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. So, uh, okay. She hasn't actually done anything for like 10 years, but, um, yeah. or she was on, she's on, um, uh, call the midwife. Oh, that, is, yes, is I think that right? that's right. I think, yes, I, I don't watch that show, even though I hear wonderful things about it. But uh, This is also, Dolores Claiborne's a movie that I saw, you know, 15 years ago, and didn't quite get that a lot of the actors were playing older, because uh -huh. there's makeup to make them look older. Uh -huh. So like, my, Well, this is one of the things about Kathy Bates's performance is like, we talk all the time about like, or like, you know, in like trader conversations, especially in relationship to awards, it's like people who like have to play various ages, like get so much credit for doing that. But Kathy Bates in this movie ages is so like minutely that you do believe that she is this 65 year old woman by the end of it and it's like she does it she successfully does it in a way that actually is impressive whereas like i don't know uh eddie redmayne and what the fuck is right uh, you know pat on <laughs> pat it on the back for you know wearing some old age makeup. uh she plays sister monica joan on call the midwife i should say so tara ariano doesn't uh I'm sorry that I said she, I, I, I thought she was still working and she is. She's yes. Show. She also, I didn't realize this, was BAFTA nominated for Supporting Actress for a Girl with a Pearl Earring, a movie I think Chris and I both have recently said we remember nothing about. So um, uh, shame on us for not remembering Judy Parfit from that. Um, but yeah, she's a she's Rada trained. So um, uh, can't fuck with that. Um, Can we talk about um, Ellen Muth? Yes. Oh, she's. Did you want? Were you a uh, dead like me person? Is that... I was. I was. Okay. I talk was. to talk to us about Ellen Muth. I love Ellen Muth. I I mean I think that like and she I was like looking at you know awards that Dolores Claiborne got and I saw that she won supporting actress at the Tokyo International Film Festival. Get out of here! Fantastic for Dolores Claiborne. So She's young Selena. She's um, it's. It's hard watching her scenes because like it really is like that the the scene where you find out that she's been uh, uh, abused is really really it's tough to watch but she plays it very well also she's very good it's just, yeah. it's very very upsetting and I I think after watching this and 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 Gerald's game they both cast very young actors to play these I mean they cast age appropriate actors sure. to play these roles yeah yeah um and they both have scenes that are are like go a little bit farther than I feel like they need to in depicting sexual sure. assault of a child um it, 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 you don't really see anything it's just like it's more than I it's still more than I feel like you need at that point as we yeah. discussed um for something that we already as an audience believe happened right it's it's really disturbing but um she is really great and I I was trying to figure out like where Ellen Muth has been because she did the movie for, she did like the dead like me 
movie they that the TV it was Showtime. When was I mean, that? They did yeah, it was Showtime. Yeah, several years ago. Yeah. But she's she's apparently retired. Dead she's like on Twitter. Me, Dead like she's me was Twitter, a show on Showtime before Showtime became a channel I needed to have. So like I think it was around the same time as Queer as Folk, which is why I uh, there there's a lot of Queer as Folk, um, the U.S. version that I never saw. And I never, Dead Like Me is what? It's Mandy Patinkin. It's Jasmine Guy. Jasmine Guy. It was Rebecca Gayhart, but she has a very early exit mm. for like reasons that we don't talk about. Is that when she was like, I think beep, it was her troubled period. Beep, beep, crash, crash, vroom, vroom. I think it was, well, it was, there was definitely that whole period. And yeah. she has the, 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 um, Hit the burn. Run. Yeah. No, she also has the burn. Maybe Ooh. we'll talk off mic about this. We'll okay. talk off mic about Rebecca Gayhart's past. Okay. Um, but she was on Dead Like Me. Um, and then who did they replace her with? Did they replace her with anybody? Or? Someone whose name I can't remember. And there was that hot guy on it. Um, Callum yeah, there was a hot guy. That's what Blue? I'm trying to remember. Is that his name? Is that just like a like? Is that just me? Thinking Callum of, Blue, like... who was on. Okay, great. Um. Uh. Oh, he was on another show that I watched. It did feel like a porn site I was making up. <laughs> Callum Blue. I was yes. gonna say it is either yeah. <laughs> 2020s uh, twink pop star or uh, gay porn. We all we all uh, watched our share of Callum Blue videos back in the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, Ellen Muth is great. It's basically yeah. the uh, the point there. Related. He was on that WB show related that only I ever watched, which had uh, which was Jennifer Esposito, Lizzie Kaplan, Kaylee Sanchez, all playing sisters, uh, and. Um, Tom Irwin from My So-Called Life was their dad, and he was dating Christine Ebersole as uh, a widower. He was dating. Looking Christine at the Ebersole. cast of shows in like the '90s and early 2000s, uh-huh. it's such a journey. It's yeah. like because yeah. they just don't exist anymore. They have no cultural footprint. Yeah, and no one remembers. Like they don't. They, they can't find them anywhere. Yeah, and the casts are like the greatest fucking cast you can yep. imagine. Yep. It lasted one season, and the theme song was by the Veronicas, and I loved it very much. Is all I will say about related. <laughs> um. Anything else to say about Dolores Claiborne before we uh, move it on along? Let me just check my notes. I know. That's what I'm going to do right now as well. Scarsdale Diet Doctor, Grand High Poobah Upper Butt Crack, Marble Rolling Pin. Uh, did I confuse this with Martina McBride? Yes, I did. Um, I did I did point out that Bob Gunton being in this makes it feel like those Stephen King repertory players. Because he had just been in Shawshank Redemption the year before. Right, to have yes. him and Kathy Bates. And I I do think, I mean, I do think, like I said, a Stephen King cinematic universe ahead of its time, but could have been a terrible thing we contended with in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but we did not get that far. Oh, Lewis, you mentioned to lines. the earliest loop, though, uh, Bob Gunton's, the Mrs. Lovett to oh, yeah. Bob Gunton's Sweeney was Beth Fowler. Oh. oh. From uh, who was on Orange is the New Black? Yes. Uh, yes. 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 Fantastic. Um, Lewis, you mentioned earlier lines in the movie that like you can you can almost picture on the page in the book. Like they're so Stephen King. The one that I wrote down was um, where she's Dolores is uh, yeah, sassing back at uh, Christopher Plummer. And he had said, oh, I'm sorry. And she says, I bet the last time you were sorry was when you had to use the pay toilet and the string on your pet dime <laughs> broke. Which, like, try explaining that sentence to anybody uh, younger than 50. Like, I don't even, like, uh, between it's... pay toilets and pet dimes and uh, and 
I don't know. That's a Stephen King sentence right there. That's a very Stephen King sentence. Totally. Um, I also made note of the fact that um, the 1990 Best Actress lineup, which Kathy Bates won, where she beat out Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, Angelica Houston in The Grifters, Joanne Woodward in Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, and Meryl Streep in um, Postcards from the Edge. All five of those women now are all Oscar winners. It's only one of four lineups since then, like only three Best Actress lineups since then, are also five uh, Oscar winners, which is uh, an interesting little statlet. Uh, 2001, which is Halle Berry, Sissy Spacek, Renee Zellweger, Nicole Kidman, and Judi Dench. 2006, which is Helen Mirren, Penelope Cruz, Meryl Streep, Kate Winslet, and Meryl and uh, and Judy Dench, and then 08, which is the wildest one, which is Winslet, Angelina Jolie, Melissa Leo, Anne Hathaway, and Meryl Streep. Uh, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Nerd shit, nerd shit. <laughs> that nerd is shit. fun. Thank like you. That. All right, should we play the IMDb game? Let's do it. Chris, I'm, terif- I'm terrified of this game. Now nah, you'll be good. Chris, <laughs> uh, read us the rules. All right, so every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. I finally had this pulled up when it yeah. was my turn to read it. <laughs> It, rather than stalling good job. and filling time. You, na- you nailed that. That was so well done. It was very good. Thank you. All right, Lewis, as our guest, you get the option of giving your clue first, guessing first, and then uh, setting the order of the round robin, which direction we go. Um, I think I want to guess first because I'm terrified of how that's going to go. Okay, who would you like to guess I- from, My- myself or Chris? Uh, I'm just trying to think of who's going to be like, nicer to me in terms of... <laughs> I will say, I, pull, I pulled up easier ones. Okay, I'll go with Chris. Alright. Uh, so, uh, Chris will give to Lewis, Lewis will give to me, and I will give to Chris. Alright, so, uh, Miss Catherine Bates is a four-time Oscar nominee. On her third nomination for About Schmidt, she lost to none other than the uh, high priestess of the Casa Zeta-Jones, Miss Catherine Zeta-Jones. The other Catherine who <laughs> uh, perhaps was, uh, or, well, Kathy Bates was confused when uh, Sean Connery just said Catherine. <laughs> uh, but for you, I've chosen Catherine Zeta-Jones. Great. Okay. Um, and they're all movies and performances. They're all movies, no voice performances. Um, well, Chicago. Chicago, correct. Uh, Mask of Zorro? Correct. Mask of Nice Zorro. guess. And then there's this thing when I think of like an actor that I totally forget everything they've ever been in, which is why this game is so scary. <laughs> um... Uh, I'm trying to remember the movie she was in with Sean Connery. Is it Entrapment? Is that the movie? Entrapment. Is that one of them? That is nice. one of them. Her character's okay. name is Jin. Um, and Traffic? Lewis Peitzman, a guess with a perfect Woo-hoo! score. Well done. Okay, that was really, I feel like a 
That was not easy. That's a that's a decently I think challenging. That was, those were. I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's not it's not the hardest, but like that's Mask of Zorro was not something I would have come up with. I don't. Those know. were the only four movies I can think of that she was in in that moment. I nice. could not tell you another. <laughs> Just totally blank. Fantastic. Um, well done. Okay. Well, I also went a Stephen King route, and I was obviously thinking about Shawshank, and I don't think you've done Tim Robbins. Here's what's very funny, Lewis is. Tim Robbins was the uh, also the one that I had picked out to give to Chris, so it's okay. in front of me right now. Unfortunately, Great. I have a, I have a backup. Okay, I didn't see Sissy Spacek on your list. I don't think we've oh. if we've done Sissy Spacek, it hasn't been for forever. So okay, well, sticking with the Stephen King theme, my backup was Sissy Spacek. Okay, um, I'm gonna say Carrie is probably one of them. Yes, I'm gonna say Coal Miner's Daughter is probably one of them. Yes. Now it's going to be like weird shit. Now it's going to be. I feel like the help shows up on a lot of people, so I'm going to say the help. Correct. Fuck. Okay, three. Uh oh. Are, are we get? getting multiple perfect scores? Okay. Um. This is a tough one, though. Um, because I don't think I don't think there's any more old ones. Like, I guess it could be Badlands, but like. I kind of doubt it. Um, all I can picture now is her big southern bouffant in JFK, and I know it's not JFK. Um, in the bedroom. You got all four. Yeah! Yes! Oh, boy. Well, now, this Chris, the so pressure is pressure on. on me, and <laughs> I, I have the hardest one. Well, you've been able to ruminate on it for a minute or two because I did. It's funny that Lewis and I picked the same person. Yes, I went into Shawshank Redemption and we've never done Tim Robbins before. So, Chris, hit me okay. with Tim Robbins. Uh, I can't get it wrong on the first guess. So, I have to say Mystic River. Correct, Mystic River. Good. At least I didn't fall flat on my face. Um, they're all acting credits, correct? They're not. Correct. Okay. Um, okay, well, here, all right, here's what I should say. He's an actor in all of them. One of them is on IMDb as producer. Interesting. But he's in it, so. Um, that does. No, wait, for sorry, I'm sorry. I'm totally wrong. He's not in it. It's a producer credit, it's a non acting credit. I don't know oh, why I, I missed that. Yeah. Well,. Is it Dead Man Walking? It is Dead Man Walking. Okay, yeah. good. I don't um, know why my brain was telling me that he was a small role in that movie. He is not. <laughs> the Player. Yes, three for three. Oh my god, it's come Chris, down to this. You're okay. going to murder me. There's no way you're getting this fourth one. <laughs> you're going to kill me. Uh, oh, We're listeners, at 11 out of 11, and there is no earthly way you're going to make it 12 out of 12. Listeners, cyberbully Joe Reed for this. Um, <laughs> I didn't know we'd be on a streak like this. It just <sighs> seemed like an interesting one to me. I mean, in a way, that is a hint. and It is. That's true. Do I think you would maybe... The, the next thing that was on my mind, do I think you think I don't know this? Or is it really that weird? Because... I mean, I would know something like Pret-a-Porte, but I wouldn't guess Pret-a-Porte. The one I want to guess is Jacob's Ladder, and I feel like that's sensible to be in a known for. I'm not even looking at the camera to see your face. I'm trying not to give any 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 hint either way. 
I think the the cards may have to fall where they fall, and I just have to guess Jacob's Ladder. It's a good guess, but it's not Jacob's Ladder. God damn it. It's an admirable guess. It's probably one I would have guessed myself. Oh, so close to an all-perfect score episode. I know. Um, uh, Once again, listener, Cyberbully Joe Reed. Yeah, Um, it's fine. I'll take that. Bull Durham? No. All right, so uh, two strikes, you get the year. The year is 1986. Okay, so this is... I think this is even before Bull Durham. Wow. Yeah, Um, Bull Durham, I think, is 88. Okay, so... Is it like... No, that's Dennis Quaid. Because Inner Space is Dennis Quaid, right? Or is it also Tim Robbins? Is it Inner Space? It's no, Inner Space is Dennis Quaid, and I don't think Tim Robbins is in that. Oh, I think that's Dennis Quaid and Martin Short or something. Who's it the is. Other it's guy? very funny. It's a very funny movie, and Martin Short's very good in it. Okay. Meg Ryan is also in that movie. Mm. Well, I guess you're right, because I am not getting there. He's third build in this. Um, is it Major League? No, no, he's not in both of those. It's kind. It's a. It's a. It's a notorious '80s movie that has like resurfaced in the last decade or so because of a major trend in filmmaking today. Like the. Oh, major so this trend is like IP. Yeah. Interestingly enough, yes, <laughs> it is. You wouldn't have thought of back in the day because it. It's. It seems like such a one-off, odd idea, but um. Yes. Oh, so it like became a franchise. No. It's been sort of revived oddly in in the in has been wrapped up in the major cultural trend in films of today. What is the major cultural trend in movies? Franchises last... and superheroes. But specifically superheroes. But specifically what kinds of superheroes? Marvel? Yeah. Oh, so this is oh, what was a the eighties Marvel movie? You would never have thought it back in the day. Like Marvel wasn't even like a thing. It's not a superhero. It's right, Lewis. Help me out here. I, I it's I, I right? don't know. I don't know. I haven't I, I haven't seen it. I know. I haven't either. But like, I know about it because is he like a cop? Is it a cop? Is it a no? Um, for all I know, he could be playing a cop in this, but I don't think so. He's like, I I imagine he's the romantic rival, is my guess. To a Marvel character. Yeah. Who is not a superhero. No, no. I'm I'm looking, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. Thank you. He's kind of a scoundrel in the, uh, is a superhero. Is he? Okay. Is it's this is considered a superhero film? Sure. Okay. What the fuck? It's a comedy. Like the movie is a comedy. It's not like an a, like an action adventure thing. Although but it prob- is like centered around a character who it does not sound like is an iconic character. Right. But... Sort of defined by his non iconicness a little bit. So he's some average dude. This character showed up in a Marvel movie about. Eight or so years ago in a post credit scene, and everybody was like, What? Um, and then has since like popped up in like a couple more movies in like very small roles. 
Like, what's uh, the weirdest character from an 80s movie? Like, weirdest title character from an 80s movie? Like, the most stereotypically, like, how did that movie ever get greenlit? Um, just one of the boys. Um, <laughs> no. Um, like, real cartoony, like, real cartoony. Um, now I'm starting to have a feeling I have seen this, but I just can't get wouldn't there. Wouldn't shock me if you did. It used to be on TV a bunch. Um, is it like blank man? Like, is man part of the Not man, but like... Boy. No. <laughs> Guy. Different species. Uh, <laughs> b- b- is it Howard the Duck? It's Howard the Duck. <laughs> Is what it is. I hate this. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was so much fun to lead you down that path, though. I Everything don't that I said was true. I'm pretty sure. I think all he's my he's like the star. He's the star who's not Leah Thompson in Howard the Duck. But yeah. I, I actually like can't get a clear re- read on whether or not Howard the Duck is a superhero. I'm looking at the cast list on IMDb for Howard the Duck, and not only is Chip Zine in this movie, but um, is it Zine or Zine? How do we pronounce Zion? Zion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who was the voice of Howard the Duck, which I never realized. And then oh, yeah. the, like, person puppeteering Howard the Duck is somebody named Tim Rose, whose IMDb photo is Admiral Akbar, <laughs> which is, so it really just does give you the impression that Admiral Akbar is just, is, is. He also, he also Howard puppeteered Salacious B. Crumb. Oh, sure. Who's the little, little shit in Jabba's <laughs> palace. Who's always <laughs> laughing at people. Uh <laughs> Yeah, Howard the Duck, also starring Holly Robinson, Pete, and uh, and and uh, and speaking of uh, never mind, horrible connection. Oh, Jeffrey Jones. Um, I was I was really did not want to make that connection, and then it just came out. <laughs> and oh boy, I have so many regrets, Chris. I'm um, so sorry we did that to you, but that was very fun to to experience. Well, hopefully. I'm gonna be very mean to you. I know. I always get the retribution on the other end of it. It could have gone differently because. If I had gone with Joe, you might have gotten Howard the Duck. Yeah. No, I, I definitely wouldn't have. I guess it couldn't have gone. Right, because you had already, we would have, unless, I would have chosen someone else. Unless I, yeah, no. Yeah. So you oh, were well. going to give me, with a with a clear conscience, Howard the Duck. You were going to make me try and guess Howard the Duck. Bitch, you just well, gave me, with a clear conscience, Howard the Duck. I, and you're giving I, me no end of shit for it, so... <laughs> I don't think that I thought through because to me this game is just like inherently difficult because I cannot remember filmographies when I'm on the spot. Sure, sure, sure. sure. I think I just didn't think about how difficult that would. I would have. Be. I would have struggled every bit as you did, Chris. I will say that. So, all right, Lewis. Thank you so much for joining us. We had such a very fun time talking about this movie. Come back soon. Um, you and I need to do. You and I need to bully Clay Keller into letting him, letting the both of us get on a screen drafts at some point because. Uh, yeah. Um, we talk about it enough. We talk about that show enough. We we do we do talk about screen drafts a lot. So. Yeah. Um. But just a tremendous time with you. We had such a good time. Um. What? Where would you like to direct the uh, listeners to uh, uh, places that they can uh, ha- experience more of the Lewis Peitzman uh, phenomenon? Oh God. Um. You can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> At Lewis Peitzman. Fantastic. Um, and you should. And, uh, and Letterboxd is the same. It's all yeah, my name I'm so everywhere. glad you're doing Letterboxd stuff now. You're, you're, it's uh, my only creative outlet, so it has <laughs> become, you know, 
what I do. My All little right. reviews of movies. Well, thank you. Uh, listeners, that is our episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram at this had Oscar buzz. Uh, Lewis has already uh, kindly told us where uh, we can find him. Chris, where can the listeners find more of you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So listen here, Mr. Grand High Poobah of Upper Butt Crack. You better get to your podcast app and type, type us up something sweet. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. It's independence day.